Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. In this show, I'm continuing my conversation with Cheryl Fernandez of PetLink to take a deep dive into microchipping. If you didn't listen to part one, which is episode number 152, I recommend you go back and listen to that episode first and then join us back here. Enjoy the show. So I want to take a step back into some of the microchipping questions 101 that some of our community cat caretakers might ask. Is there a way to scan a feral cat without it being fully knocked out? You can. Remember, again, I'm going to take you back to that little tiny antenna inside the microchip. It doesn't have a huge read distance because it's so small. If you've got an older cat that is, you know, a difficult cat to handle and you can't get that close to him, it's going to be more difficult to to read that antenna or to get that antenna to read to the scanner. So some microchip companies make stronger signals. Some of them, if the animal has an older microchip in it, that's a non-universal microchip, which is what was standard up until about maybe 10 or 15 years ago here in the United States. So you've got non-universal versus universal. You've got your nine or 10 digit frequency number, which is a, a a non-universal frequency. If that cat has an older scanner or an older microchip in it, and that scanner's not that strong, it's going to be difficult because that antenna also can get thrown off by metal. So if you've got that cat in a metal cage and you're trying to scan that cat in a metal cage, even if it's a brand new microchip and a stronger frequency, that antenna can still get thrown off. So there is no answer to that. That's clean cut. What I would say is if you've got the cat in like a squeeze box, you've got that cat in maybe a plastic carrier and you can somehow rig up a scanner on a, on like a piece of plywood or a PVC piping, my company, and there's another company that that's out there that do make an extend max style, which is like the length of a catch pole. And it has the antenna on the top of it. So you can actually kind of put that in the cage and get closer to the animal. And if the cat or the dog bites it, it's not going to do any damage to it. There are products out there to help with that situation, but they don't always work because of, of all of the issues that I mentioned. And then, then some, so like my microchip company, our scanners are going to be tuned to pick up our microchips the quickest because it's a, it's priority. It's a, it's, it's the way that all the microchip home again is going to pick up their chips faster. Um, and then so on and so forth. So it's going to pick up the stronger read distance that's tuned to that particular scanner. And then it's going to go down. So I love when I get animal control officers and I always use the scenario, you got a sandwich in your mouth, you got the scanner in one hand, the cell phone in the other, and you know, and the cat pooping and you take that scanner and you're like, boom, 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 left, right, left, right. And Oh, nope, there's no, there's no microchip. It's, I can't stress enough that animal control officers are very busy folk. I know, but they have to go slow. You have to go get an S pattern and then up and down the body. I've even heard that microchips have migrated down to the elbows of animals, down to the lower back of animals. Does migration happen? Sure, it happens in all microchip companies, but it doesn't happen that often. But you still have to go slow. And you think about how about an animal shelter that doesn't know that dog was microchipped or that cat was microchipped. So what do they do? They put another microchip into that animal, and now that animal's got two microchips. So how do you know which one's going to get red? The stronger signal's usually going to be the one that gets red first. 
in a feral cat, it's a little bit more difficult, but I do truly believe in microchipping feral cats because there is still a better opportunity for them to get reunified back to that colony as opposed to it being a death sentence for them because they're, quote, feral. Yeah, you just answered my second question, which was the the question of the second microchip and what happens when you do stick in a second microchip. And if the first microchip is in there, but it's registered to a dead end, well, you could re-register that microchip to you at that point in time and not do a second microchip. Correct. You would then call the microchip manufacturer, whoever that company is, and then you could do the backtracking and see who was originally purchased or sold to or who purchased that. And then you can talk about, and again, every microchip company has its own requirements on how you're allowed to switch data. So like if it was an own pet and you you received that dog from your neighbor and they transferred ownership, we would require the original owner to then provide that information that that animal can be transferred out of your name. There's, it's It's a very gray area for for the law. There really is no law that says, well, if that microchip's in that person's name, um, then that cat belongs to citizen A. There is really no law on that. I mean, it's it's more proof that that cat belongs to you. But if you get an animal that has no registration on it and the microchip company, you contact them, you can, for all intents and purposes, pay a small fee and have that animal registered into your shelter's name or your individual rescue person's name. So it can be done, but every company does it just a little bit differently. So a couple of scenarios. So one is there's a name, there's a phone number, there's an email, the phone number's disconnected, the email doesn't go anywhere, you like sent an email out, no one responds in seven days. At that point in time, you go to the microchipping company and you say, you know, it's a dead end. This is what we've done for our due diligence. Let's register this chip in the shelter's name so that we can put the cat back up for adoption and adopt the cat out. And the second scenario is actually that that contact information is live, but yet for some reason, there is some reason why we don't want that cat to go back to that person. You're saying that person still doesn't have much of a legal claim to that cat, or is that very gray? It's very gray and it's very difficult because if that cat was turned over, surrendered to a shelter, and then they didn't give the information to the microchip company, now it's going to be up to that animal control facility to then call the microchip company and say, hey, you know, we have an owner surrender from Susie Smith. And then my company would require or ask for proof, whether it be a signature or a copy of the of the owner surrender form to be provided to them. And then, yes, then we could get it into the proper facility's name and then they can transfer it once that pet gets adopted out. So there's a lot of uh, potentials for sort of going back and forth with regards to it. It definitely doesn't seem like it's a 100% a smooth path. And it seems there's a lot of work that needs to happen going forward in order to be able to streamline this process. I mean, I'm, I always envision, you know, whenever anyone has a rabies vaccination clinic, there's always a microchipping clinic along there, but it's just microchipping clinic. And I think there should be a subsection that should always be like a registration, a re-registration clinic where people bring their animals, they get them checked for a scan, and then they make sure that their information is current on that website. And they do that like while they're getting their rabies booster, they skip the injection site, but then they go to a registration check location and that's where the laptops are sitting right there. And they're just, and then they get their lollipop at the end of the line. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. And, and, and that, and the, I absolutely support that. I think rescues and shelters are going to do that a lot more. I think they're going to, there's actually even, I think it's August 15th, if I'm not mistaken, it's called check your chip day. And I actually learned about that from a client out in California and they were having a public event and they would actually have a table set up and they had a few scanners there at that station. And for a $3, $5 donation, whatever you could afford to that organization, you would have your cat or your dog or your guinea pig or your your ferret scanned, the microchip number would come up. And then we would, at that point in time, we would then at that point in time, go ahead and call the company and have that microchip looked up and to make sure that it was registered in Susie Smith's name. So I think that's a great idea. And what was the date again on that check your chip day? Pretty sure it's August 15th, if I'm not mistaken. It's And I tell a lot of my folks to do it, even if they have a bake sale or they have a public event or a dog wash or a dog walk, always bring a scanner with you. Always, always, always have a scanner with you and scan that animal that's in front of you. Then you could offer that to them and say, hey, you know, because a lot of people adopt their animal. And you know, when you're walking out of a shelter and you get this cat and you just want to know what food to feed her and you don't want her to hide under the bed and you're all excited and you're listening to the shelter workers talk about her great personality and how sweet she is. And they hand you paperwork and say, hey, go make sure your registration is up to date. You forget. I mean, people just do. They've got so many other things to do and to, to take care of. So if you're at a public event and you've got this microchip scanner there and you're a shelter, you can scan that cat and say, huh, I show it not being registered or I don't show any information on it. And I am telling you, people are so thankful to know that because everybody that adopts a dog or a cat thinks, oh, there's a microchip in it. It's taken care of. And people don't realize that the registration may not have been done or it may have not been updated. Or say you change your cell phone number and it's been three years and animal control picks up your cat. They're going to call that old cell phone number. So it's always very, it's your due diligence to make sure that that information is up to date every time you move, every time you change your address, even if you change your vet's information. You can do it all online with most of the companies for free. Are you starting to think about that special gift? Why not give the gift of a Community Cats podcast branded t-shirt, coffee mug, bag, or other item? This is the perfect way to spread the word about helping Community Cats. The proceeds from the sales will go to support the Community Cats podcast and the Community Cats Grants program, which helps small groups grow their fundraising programs to be able to fund more spay-neuter programs for free-roaming cats. Go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on our shop button in the menu bar today to get that perfect community cat gift right now. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the show. The Community Cats Podcast is now getting over 3,000 downloads a month. The word is spreading, and we have a fast-growing listener support base. Would your business want to be a sponsor of the show and help us to continue our programs? To find out more details, please go to www.communitycatspodcast.com slash sponsor. So I want to change the topic over to funding for microchips and for scanners. It's a huge topic. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with folks that are like, you know, hey, if I had the funding, I would be able to do this. And, and it does seem like when you do have to cut costs, microchipping is at the top of the list. I mean, obviously you're not going to cut your anesthesia out of your, your clinic, you know, protocols, but you can say, okay, well, if we need to cut back on money issues, 
microchipping is definitely, you know, on the table. So in terms of funding sources, I know that I've been successful getting funding for microchipping from the Bissell Foundation. Um, and I didn't know if you were aware of any other foundations that were supportive of microchipping programs. You know, I've seen everything from PetSmart Charities to Petco to GoFundMe to a lot of different organizations, uh, you know, funding, fundraising type companies out there. Um, but it requires you to fill out um, a grant application. It requires you to do statistical data collecting. It requires you, it's not like when I was in a shelter and I would call the ASPC and say, hey, I need $2,000 to do something. And they would give it to you. Like I worked at a shelter and I got a, you know, I got two or $3,000 um, from them a number of times for different programs we were running. Now, I think Everybody's looking for the elusive dollar, and it's very difficult. I don't know of any one specific place, but I do try to provide links to like Funding for Good or some other folks that I know that I meet at conferences to some of my clients when they ask me. What I really try to tell my municipalities, though, is, are you kidding me? You don't have enough money in your budget, but the police department does and the fire department does, and you guys are a law enforcement agency. You need the same tools that the cops do and the firemen do. So, so do your do your numbers like crunch your numbers and show how many animals a year that bring that come in and your return to owner rate is going to go down you're going to save money on on a reduced length of stay you're going to be able to get that animal back out in the field if he's got a microchip in him so it's going to save your organization, your agency money if you spend a little bit more up front. And some companies sell microchips for four, five, six dollars. Some sell them up towards eight, nine, ten dollars. You can then ask for that as part of your fee for your adoption fee to recoup that money. So it may not even be money that that is going to be an expenditure out of your buddy out of your budget. It's just going to break even. So I try to tell folks to look at it that way as well. It's just another tool in your toolbox that your department should understand that they need to fund. From the municipal side of it, I definitely see the need for that approach. And then on the nonprofit side, I think you definitely can explore other fundraising options to, to be able to support their programs. AKC Reunite has been very supportive of scanners, and you you would think that they would only be interested really in, in helping dog groups, but I've had quite a few community cat groups receive scanners from AKC Reunite, and that's been, and it's an easy peasy one-page application, and so that has been very nice. You know, as many scanners that we can get out there, the better. Um, and you know, I think yeah, Bear Pharmaceutical was the distributor for the for the Data Mars microchip, which is my my parent company, manufacturing company. And years ago, they did the same thing. They donated thousands and thousands. And I don't. It was prior to me working for the company, but they donated thousands of of universal scanners out there when universal microchips were being introduced um, into the country. And I still to this day have folks call me and say, I want another one of this, you know, XYZ scanner because it's been so great. And I'm like, that technology hasn't been around for about eight or nine years now. We don't even make those or repair them anymore. I mean, they were old, you know, it was an old battery operated. Now almost all of them are done with um, a lithium battery in it as opposed to like, you know, a, a C battery or a, a 2A batteries or whatever. It's changed so much, the technology. It's sort of like a flip phone versus a smartphone. Like it still may read a chip, but it may take longer to read the chip. It may have to be closer to the animals. Technology out there nowadays, you can actually hold a scanner 
three to four inches away from an animal and not have to rub it on top of the animal to pick up um, that radio frequency um, strength of, of the antenna because technology has gotten so much better. So they're, they're pee-proof and throw-up proof yeah, exactly. and fall-off-the-table-proof? Yeah. Well, I know my company <laughs> is. I've, I've gotten other folks that have said, you know, what do we do with this? I'm like, I call the company and see if they can repair it. But I've, I've actually seen pictures of microchip scanners that have been chewed right through, and the wires are, are visible, and they're still scanning the animals. So I guess that's that's a challenge that you're putting out to the the community cats group is to show us your photos of your scanners and see see how they're doing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and to go back to like the feral colonies, I'm working with a fair amount here on the East Coast of community cat programs and and people that are working in feral colonies trying to make sure that cats are microchipped and and I might have mentioned this on the last time I was on your show. I really really can't stress enough how microchips save feral cats' lives a lot more than than people realize. You scan that cat, you also can get his his rabies history. So if that cat maybe scratched a little girl or that cat hurt somebody, it's not a death sentence to that cat because a lot of times they would have to euthanize to then test for rabies. And now you're saving the time and money and effort that your department has to pay for to have that animal checked. And then that cat can then be scanned you can call the colony keeper. You can get that cat back to the colony once its hold period is up for it's, if it's, you know, under under quarantine. But then you can also say to that colony keeper, do you have rabies information on this cat? And if that colony keeper's got seven black cats, that microchip number is going to show that that's, you know, that's Fluffy. And Fluffy actually had a microchip or had a rabies vaccination, you know, six months earlier. That to me is another reason why I think microchipping is so important in colonies. I was just going to ask you if you had any in the in the four years that you've worked with PetLink, do you have any special stories that you remember over the course of the years that you've heard about with regards to microchips? My company itself actually has like little stories that they put up on our PetLink site about that. I have a, a client that was down and I think she was in Maryland and she had uh, like a house. She ran a rescue group out of her house and there was the cat that had gone missing and it literally was only like four doors away from where it had gone missing, but it lived there for like six months because the people kept the cat inside. And then when it got back outside again, somebody picked it up and scanned it and found that it was literally just a few houses away. So there's always those interesting, fun stories like that, that the microchipping, you finally have the answer of where was that cat for so long because of the microchip, as opposed to if that cat just got picked back up and found its way home again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have known where he was. Yeah. And I mean, we see the the stories on the news, you know, of, you know, the animals, you know, years, it's been years that they've been apart and that the microchip brings them back together again. It can create some pretty amazing stories that we all see on the news. Yeah. And, and I know, and I did not, I wasn't down at Hurricane Katrina, but I remember what came out of Hurricane Katrina was information that, you know, if whatever the percentage of, of pets that did have microchips in them, most of them, or not most of them, but a lot of them, what I had read were not, they were microchip, but they weren't properly registered. So I think we get the idea of microchipping. I think we get that. I think shelters get that. I think veterinarians get that. I think it's a great way to do a fundraiser as well. So maybe you buy those microchips and then that's how you you raise the money and you go out and have a public clinic. So it's not just your pets that are in the shelter or the rescue organization 
but you can also do fundraisers for public clinics and raise the money. But with that said, the registration I'm seeing, as we talked about earlier, there's all these databases. How do you figure out who that microchip company even is? So microchipping itself, I think people get it. I think they've got the aha on that. But I think the registration is the is the rabbit's hole that we fall into that we don't that it's still a lot of questions surrounding that. So I always talk about register, register, register. Yeah. And I think we need to find out what, what's the carrot that we can convince people to really keep that up to date. So I don't want to necessarily say licensing, but it's, it's definitely up there in terms of importance with regards to information. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to be looking at, at mandates, if we're going to be looking at, at city ordinances or state laws, I think the language in those need to really have everything spelled out, but there also needs to be a fiscal part of that. I think the state of Massachusetts, the same thing. By law, municipal animal control facilities are required to scan an animal upon entry. And I want to say maybe prior to euthanasia or prior to adoption. So there's like two or three times that they have to scan that animal. But there's no law that requires anything to be done once that animal has been discovered with a microchip in it. So I think like there's always great thoughts when it comes to legislation. But if you don't have somebody thinking through this, the whole scenario, sometimes things get lost and things get missed. And then what do you do with a microchip with no current registration? And then it goes into the whole who owns this cat and how do you get that cat now updated? And how is that cat's information um, going to be transferred to the new cat owner? And a percentage of sort of cats that are out there, how many do you think are actually microchipped? I would say probably maybe 50 to 60% of the cats that, that I know of that, that just in my understanding of working with shelters, I don't know how many of them though are up to date on their microchip information. I mean, for the most part, most shelters I know are microchipping now. There, there are a few that don't, or they have the vet do it. But when you're looking at, I don't even know how many shelters there are in in the United States, but in rescue organizations, but they're just, they're everywhere. And microchipping really does seem to be, even my, even my specific cat rescue groups, like the Maine Coon cats or whoever, they're all microchipping now too. And they're also, a lot of them have, have their name associated as guardians. So not only do they have the cat microchipped and backtracked to them as the purchaser, but they also are contacted along with the pet owner if that cat ends up at a shelter. Now the low cost spay neuter clinics aren't necessarily having microchipping as part of the spay neuter package, though they may have it as a a la carte item, but they won't necessarily have it in with the surgery. Right. It is, it would be, it would be an additional cost um, to have done. So it's not a given that everybody does that. If you could predict what the future looks like for microchipping down the road, what do you think it would look like? You know, I think um, microchips are going to probably get smaller, um, and I've seen that. I've seen a little bit of the compromised reed distance on the really small, tiny ones, because if you've got a big, huge, fluffy cat and you're trying to read that microchip um, that's super, super small from a further distance, I think that's going to be an issue. I'd like to see a more unified collaboration for a database. Saying that working for a for-profit company, it's probably not 
every company probably doesn't want to hear their employees say that, but I think we like to play nice with everybody, which is why we're part of AHA, which we pri we try to make sure that we explain to folks that registration is so important. What I'd really like to see is just a more unified understanding of microchipping and educating folks on how to microchip. Hopefully, somehow just make sure that every single animal is microchipped and scanned. I mean, if you're an animal control facility and you pick up a feral cat, you're now looking to scan it because it's more popular. But in the olden days, it wasn't something that they would do with feral cats. If folks are interested in finding out more about your work with PetLink, how could they find you? Sure. They can certainly give me a holler. My cell phone is 781-281-5167. My email is my first name, CherylAnn.Fernandez at datamars.com. And Cherylann, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think I've confused everybody or frustrated them enough today, <laughs> but I think together we really can make a difference in making microchipping a necessity. And again, it's their silent voice. So it still helps them more so than a collar does because a, a collar can fall off. You can't, you can't get a microchip out of an animal unless you are literally going to take them to a veterinarian and have it surgically removed. Cheryl Ann, I want to thank you so much for kicking off our March Microchipping Madness Month and providing all this great information. I feel like I've understood microchipping on the ins and outs, and I'm bound and determined to make sure we've got something in place in our community to ensure that everybody is uh, registration up to date. Absolutely. I agree with you. I stand right next to you on doing that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Want to learn more about grants? Register for Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Learn the ins and outs of writing grants, how to track them, and how to do follow-up reports. This is a perfect educational opportunity for a small organization looking to develop a strategic grant writing program as a fundraiser. Go to communitycatspodcast.com and click the link on the homepage to register. After registering, you'll receive a confirmation email containing information about joining the webinar. That's Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m. 